good order. Anybody in here a sailor? Could sail uh, a catamaran or a sailing boat? Would feel comfortable in the ocean doing that? Several years ago, newspapers around the world carried the story about Eric Abbott, a British sailor, and I'll use the term loosely. From the article, Eric Abbott often finds the sea bewildering. The Coast Guard often finds him and is getting fed up. Abbott, 56, called for help Thursday after running aground in the real estuary on the north coast of Wales. On Tuesday, he called for help in the same area after getting lost in the dark. The Coast Guard and Maritime Agency, which has gone to Abbott's rescue at least half a dozen times at an estimated cost of 30,000 pounds, is sped up. They say, we're exasperated with him, but there's nothing we can do to stop him from going out to sea, said Jeff Lund, the Coast Guard watch manager at Hollyhead Wales. Abbott's sailing career began in Liverpool on the 23rd of January 1999, or July 1999. The next day, he sent out a distress call and was towed to land. The same thing happened the day after that. On June the 18th, 2000, Abbott radioed Belfast, Northern Ireland, to say he was lost, but though he could see some mountains. When we got to him, he had a road map and said he didn't know how to use his compass to the Coast Guard. Abbott said, I suppose the lifeboat service in the UK and in Ireland may be a bit fed up with me, but really, I never mean to get into trouble, Abbott said after his rescue Tuesday. Is it any wonder the Bible compares us to sheep? Sometimes it's just silly the things we do. Getting lost at sea has not been my experience, but I remember one occasion of being lost. Downtown Rich's department store, Christmas 50 years ago. I was six years old. I somehow was separated from my mother and father. I think it was just the three of us. My older siblings say, no, it was their plan to leave you downtown. <laughs> Maybe they're right, I don't know. But I remember the feeling of just panic. And they found me. And that's a good thing. But 50 years later, I remember the feeling. Today we're going to talk about, well, people that need the Lord. Um, and how we can be like sheep. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for each one here. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the thousandth. Who knows? But it's not a coincidence that we're in this place at this time. So speak to us. Mold us. Make us. Help us, sheep that need you, our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. I begin reading in Luke chapter 15, the first seven verses. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them the parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds them? 
When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. We all know stories about sheep that have gone astray from the news, from our families, and likely at times even from our own lives. But if we're not careful as Christian people, we'll look at sheep, well, without compassion. Jason saying people need the Lord. But sometimes, when you're watching the news and you see the sheep that are just doing the crazy things in society, can you relate to James and John who in Luke chapter 9 wanted Jesus to call fire down from heaven and wipe them out? <laughs> yeah, you can. Are there pictures I can put on the video screen of a person or a group that would make you turn your head or think, I wish you could drop a little fire there? Maybe so. Well, this is for you then. I love it in verse 1, and I take comfort in this one. Who it says came to Jesus. It says tax collectors and sinners were coming here to listen to him. And that's interesting. It says all of them, not some of them, but just a great number of them. The verb means that they keep coming to him. It's not a one-time incident. They're just following Jesus wherever he goes. It's a continual action of the tax collectors and the sinners coming to Jesus. And so to the Pharisees and the scribes that are watching this, they're wanting fire to come down from heaven. They don't care about these lost sheep. They just want them gone. This is riffraff, the lowest of the low, and they're upset, as you know, if you've read the New Testament, that Jesus is even fooling with people like that. To associate with them would be contaminated. And to eat with them, which is absolutely unthinkable. In, in the Middle Eastern culture at the time, and largely today, to have a meal with somebody was to, to treat them as an honored guest and an honored friend. It was a big deal. And to do that with a tax collector, which was even below the sinners, that was the lowest of the low, or the sinners, these other reprobates, would be just dishonorable. And so the Pharisees and the scribes have a big problem with Jesus. And if we're not careful, and I'm not careful, I can judge who Jesus might love and who he might not. I can say, well, this group is okay. I don't know about that group. That one's okay, and I'm not sure about that. And that's not my job. We should know that that's exactly why Jesus came. For the lost. For the sick. To save those who needed him. He came for sinners. Well, like me, if you're honest, like you. But the Pharisees didn't go near those people. Uh, essentially, the only time they spent with, the only time they spent was with other Pharisees. They couldn't associate with these people. There was an old rabbinic rule. Let me show you what it said: Let not man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him nearer to the law. See what that says? You can't even help. Them. You don't want to convert them. You just want to let them go. You want to let them stay lost. You want to just drop the bomb. 
pull down the fire. That's not very helpful, is it? You're a teacher of the law, and you don't want these people to see. They were so, the Pharisees and scribes, they were so worried about the pollution that they didn't even want to get near. And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can be the same one. They wanted nothing to do with sinners. And Jesus wanted everything to do with sinners. There's too many stories to back that up. Verses 3 and 4. So Jesus tells this parable. And as you see, the parable is to a different group. It's to tax collectors and sinners, but it's also really for the Pharisees and scribes. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until it finds? Now, this parable is about a shepherd. The word's never there, but it's clearly about a shepherd. And if you remember, shepherds were low people too. They were the lowest rung of all of, of all legitimate labor. They were at the bottom. They were unclean. They couldn't go to the temple. They were at the bottom. And so what he says to them is interesting. Is interesting. What man among you, if he has a hundred thieves and has lost one out of them? And when he says that, the Pharisees are already offended because what he is doing is he's saying as if they're shepherds in the story. Which one of you? That's fighting words. He's saying, pretend you're a shepherd. And the Pharisees don't even like to think that. This is like going to Hillary and saying, pretend you're Trump. <laughs> or it's like going to Trump and I'm going to be both sides. It's like going to Trump and say, pretend you're Hillary. It's like, mm, I don't even think about it. You ever said that? I don't even want to think about that. That's where the Pharisees are. Because Jesus says, you're a shepherd in the story. Mm, not us. They couldn't be. They didn't want that pollution. They wanted to stay away from those kinds of and the very thought of putting him in the role of a shepherd was just offensive. They would become a, a shepherd. It was physically unclean, but they didn't even want that thought in their mind. But they knew. If you think about it, they knew the Old Testament describes God as a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Other places in Isaiah and Ezekiel, God is described as a shepherd. Uh, Moses, one of their great heroes, was a shepherd. For his father-in-law. They understand that God is a picture of shepherd. But to think of themselves as shepherd. They, they didn't like that. Not at all. No Pharisee would ever consider themselves to be a shepherd. But they're offended. But now they're hooked into the story. What man among you if you were a shepherd. And you had a hundred sheep. And lost one out of one. And they're listening. And they know exactly what Jesus means. An average family at the time wouldn't have 100 sheep. They'd have 10, 12, 15 sheep. So what would happen was the village would get a bunch of families together. The families would hire a shepherd from within the village. You didn't want a stranger walking your sheep. You wanted somebody from the village. And so these shepherds, it'd probably be two or three, were caring for 100 sheep. This is seven, eight families worth of sheep. And that's the picture here. Now, there aren't a lot of rules for shepherds, but there's one big one. You don't lose sheep. You just don't do it. Their job, if you go with a hundred, is to come back with a hundred. So they'd be in the village, that village life. They'd be in a pen in the village. In the morning, the shepherds would get the sheep. They'd go out and 
all the capture land and bring them back at night. And so one of them now is lost. And the shepherds didn't lose sheep. So they would send one shepherd to find it. And they would either come, they would either come back with the sheep alive, the sheep injured, or they would bring parts of the sheep. If the sheep had been killed, they'd bring back what was remaining. So everybody would know they didn't lose the sheep. No sheep left behind. They would bring that sheep back. Now, nobody at that day and age is going to say, well, you got 99. Just, just forget it. They're not going to do that because they were so important. And so Jesus is saying the shepherd did the right thing. And the Pharisees are really agreeing. They knew the situation. They've seen this before. And the shepherd goes until he finds it. Not if he finds it, but when he finds it. He's going to go. No sacrifice could be too great. No too much time could be spent. No too much effort. Lost sheep get the attention of the shepherd. So verses 5 and 6. <coughs> when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders and he rejoiced. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Probably after dark when he comes home with it. Carrying it on his shoulders, that usually weighs 70, 75 pounds. It's a good load. And he's coming home, and they are ready to rejoice and celebrate. And can't you see the people in the village? Did you hear what happened today? There, there were 90, there, they lost one. It's that horrible? And they would talk about that. You know, I remember when they lost one back in 04. And they would talk about somebody that lost one. And they would do that. I mean, it was a big deal. It's funny watching the Atlanta news, and I don't watch it very often. Have you ever watched some news story and think it's got to be a slow news day because they're showing a cat that got stuck in a bookcase? And, and <laughs> you ever see slow news days in Atlanta? They show the silliest things. This was a big news day. This was a huge day that that sheep was gone. But it turned out well, and it is rescued. And the tired shepherd of sheep on his back comes home late at night and word spreads through the village and everybody is happy. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they did it. They kind of be happy about the story too. Well, although it's a lowly shepherd, he did the right thing. That's a big deal for those people and good for him. That's a nice story. And so at this point, Jesus has they're probably shaking their heads and maybe thinking, yeah, that, that's all right. It's a common story. It's about duty and honor. What happens next is a devastating application of the story, verse 7. So now to the Pharisees and the scribes, who didn't like the sinners and the tax collectors and the shepherds, Jesus said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. The righteous people that need no repentance is not really a compliment. He's saying that's who you think you are, and you're so lost. But when one of these lost people is found, it's a wonderful event. 
it was a clear application and so obvious. The point is, how could God be so eager, so loving, so kind, go so far out of his way when you as Pharisees and scribes won't even lift a finger to help all of these people? How can that be? I can be like a Pharisee. Watching the news and thinking, what a bunch of. Let's see, what's the word I can use in church? <laughs> Let me use Jesus' word, sinners. How's that? I can think, what a waste of flesh. Get a life. Go away and disappear. Then Jason thinks people, sings people, leave the Lord. Is Jason right? And so when I see those things, I'm supposed to think God loves you. And then by extension, I'm supposed to think I love you too. And be patient because God's still working on me. I know you've all got this settled and you're all perfect and got it figured out. The point of this story is to see that God has great, great love. And it's to see that we need that God. Don't relate to the Pharisees and the scribes. Relate to Jesus. I tried to find out what happened to our British sailor Eric Tabbitt. He's disappeared. Google had no trace of him. But I found this bit that I thought was pertinent. This was printed sometimes in the summer of 2000 after the Sabbath days and I had rescue. According to the BBC, and I quote, the Royal Yacht Association may have a solution. The Coast Guard said Thursday that Abbott has accepted the association's offer of a free place on its 10-day skipper's course. They tried to teach him how to navigate. We as a church are the Royal Yacht Association in the world around us. And it's our job to teach people to navigate from being a lost sheep to being a child of God. Jason's saying they must hear the words of life that only we can.